on Calvary No Forward, can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise? It's good to be in the house. Sunday, sunny, it's summer. Who's hitting the pool tonight? Anybody? Maybe not tonight. Well, we are on the last week of Captured by Grace. That's right. I lied to you last week and I said it was the last week. But this week is the last week and I promise you that it is the last week of Captured by Grace. Who's enjoyed this message series? I know I personally have. I've loved just uh, walking through uh, this topic and and really uh, defining some things that we say and we believe as New Covenant believers. And so uh, remember that this is based off our lead pastor's book. If you want to go deeper and and read his book, you can find it. Uh, It's called Captured by Grace and uh, authored by Ben W. Daly, and I hope that you do that. Our theme text for today, go ahead, if you have your Bible, anybody got a Bible today? Checking, scanning, one, let's go, give God praise for the Bible. Two, give God praise for the Bible. Three, mine on the front row, let's go. We're growing each and every week, each and every week. But if you don't got your Bible, that's okay. We got one on screen, and you can follow along on your phone. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Go there with me. And here's what Paul writes. He says, I was captured by grace. Hey, there it is. I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. Go ahead, take your right hand, sit it on your heart, please. Come on, repeat after me. Eyes to see. Now, come on, let's say it like we mean it. Eyes to see. Ears to hear. Heart to receive. And a mouth to confess. All of the good things. Say all the good things. All the good things. Christ has provided for me. If you believe that, come on, clap your hands. Give Jesus some praise in this place. Well, I believe this is probably one of the most impactful messages of this series, and for many reasons, but first and foremost, I believe it's going to tie some loose ends up for us. If you've had any questions regarding uh, this message or regarding what we believe or regarding some things that you have heard throughout this series, uh, this is going to tie it all up together in a nice, in a nice bow, okay? But I believe it's going to accurately define God's powerful grace in our lives. And so today we're going to talk about this. Are you ready? Legal versus vital. Everybody say legal. Legal. Say vital. What am I talking about? Well, first let me start with just an example. Have you heard of this statement right here? Has anybody told you this statement before? Life is a journey, not a destination. Have you heard that? Life's a journey, not a destination. My, my wife and I, we love road trips. We actually take our kids on, on quite a few road trips um, yearly. In the year, we take more than two, three. But what we do is we like to take them, and, and we like to stop in places, and we like the whole road trip experience, right? That's what road trips are for. My wife packs snacks upon snacks upon snacks. My wife packs activities upon activities upon... They don't get, they don't get bored, okay? 
They're so distracted that they don't even ask to go to the bathroom. That's how much we pack. But we enjoy them. We love them. But how many know that every now and then you get the same question? Okay? And it's this question right here. My, my, my six-year-old, Audrin, he'll, and, 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 and he'll ask from time to time, Dad, here it is, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And me, well, my response or my wife's response is always, a, well, we're, we're five minutes closer than the last time you asked. So please stop asking, right? And, and hear me when I say this because it's really difficult to notice, but we haven't grown from those mindsets. Think about it for a second. How do I know? Because we get frustrated, right? Because we find ourselves in the tension of one day, meaning our dreams, and today. No movement, no momentum. We feel like we're stuck. And so what we say is, are we there yet? God, am I there yet? God, when am I going to be there? So it made me think about my graduation. Does anybody remember their graduation? You still remember? What song was popular during your graduation? Do you remember? Don't say it out loud. But hear me. The truth is I viewed graduation as the end. So for all you high school schoolers in here, you may be nearing graduation or you just graduated. But hear me when I say this. You may have viewed graduation as the end, but in reality, it is the beginning and not the finish line. It's a commencement. It's the beginning of something. And I realize that there are many believers today who need this wisdom as well. Not in relation to their high school graduation, but with regard to the spiritual life that we have in Christ. Because sometimes when folks receive Jesus, they look at it as mission accomplished. I'm done. It's done. And guess what? And, and, and because of that, they believe they hit the ultimate spiritual jackpot. And hear me, in one sense, yes, that is absolutely 100% accurate. They have because the moment that they received the life of Christ, everything changed about them. We talked about this last week. Everything changed on the inside of them, right? Meaning that everything that you will need for this life and for godliness was given to you at the moment that you put your trust in Christ. It's true. At the same time, though, this moment is similar to a high school commencement ceremony. It's really a beginning more than it is an end. And when Jesus promised to give you and I the abundant life, he wasn't suggesting that this was the last stop on the trip, but he was saying this, rather, this is many of stops that you will have. And so the very day that you were saved, grace was powerfully at work in your life, but your encounter with grace was only the beginning of a lifelong process of learning to live in and from the life of Christ. I'm going to say that again, because when you uh, receive the life of Christ, hey, you begin a process of learning to live in and from the very existence of who Jesus is. That's our journey. Because when you got first saved, 
it was mostly the legal aspect that overwhelmed you. Yeah, the legal aspect that we give God thanks for. And a matter of fact, that legal aspect should still overwhelm us to this day. Because the fact that our sins were forgiven, meaning that our sin was wiped away, that's the legal aspect. And that's worth praising God for. So let me put it to you like this, that it was as if you were in a courtroom and the judge looked at you and there was an advocate, by the way, and by name of the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. Jesus, okay? And he stands there and, and all the evidence pointed to you, meaning your fingerprints were on everything that was wrong. You were even caught on camera. But guess what? When the gavel came down, not guilty. You went scot-free. That's the legal aspect. But there's more to this grace than the legal dimension of what we're talking about today. Because the legal aspect, it is critical because it means that we no longer are guilty. That means that we are completely set free based on the price that Jesus paid for us. But then there's this vital nature. Everybody say vital. There's this vital nature of God's grace that is equally important. And so what is that vital nature of God's grace? Here it is. It's the power God gives you to walk with him daily and fulfill the destiny that is on your life. It's his power working in you and through you so that you can make wise decisions every day and fulfill the destiny that is on your life. And so we are familiar with the legal aspect of God's grace. I'll prove it to you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. And thank God that is absolutely 100% true. But grace didn't end at the moment of truth. Because God's unmerited grace is what saved you for sure. But it's his unlimiting grace that empowers you to live this abundant, impossible life. <laughs> this Christian life, it's impossible to live. I remember coming in Christianity, they said, this, this, this Christian life is difficult. And then when I got into ministry, they're like, okay, you better have your ducks in a row because you're in for some heap of trouble. <laughs> what kind of encouragement was that? But listen to me. All they talked about was struggle and pain, struggle and pain. And hear me, all that is possible in our lives and those things will come up. But hear me, they used to tell me that this Christian life is difficult. No, it's not difficult. You want to know what it is? It is impossible. And because it is impossible, then I have to rely on the vital grace that God gives me, meaning I got to lean into his life being expressed through me so that I can bear his fruit to our world. It's the vital aspect. And so I like to say that the Christian life isn't difficult to live at all. No, it is impossible. And some of you may be scratching your heads and may be thinking, what are you talking about? That's not very encouraging. And so the fact is that there is only one person, only one person who has ever lived this Christian life successfully. It's not me. It's not you. It's not Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. You want to know who it is? It's Jesus. 
Jesus walked this life perfectly, performed it, dotted every I, crossed every T. He did it for you and I, and Jesus was 100% successful. And do you want to know what that means? That is the miracle of God's vital grace in your daily life because God isn't asking you to live an impossible life. He is asking you that you would allow Jesus to live his life in and through you. And so we, we need to badly grasp this understanding because we need to understand that while legal grace saves us and thank God for it, it saves us. It is his vital grace that empowers us. What do I mean by that? Here it is. Saving grace is what carried you. But now you're carrying the empowering grace into every activity in your daily life. What do I mean by legal and vital? Saving grace was done for you, but empowering grace is God's presence in and through you. Okay? Saving grace operates vertically from heaven to earth. But empowering grace operates horizontally. From me to you, you to me, from us to one another. Do you get this? And so all Christians seem to understand that we were saved from something, but not every Christian believes that they were saved for something. See, a lot of us believe that we were saved from something. Thank God that I escaped that. Thank God that I'm out of that ditch. But when it comes to being saved for something, we sound like this. Uh-uh, not me. That can't be me. Do you know who I am? I've been disqualified a long time ago. You don't know the junk that I have in my life. Are you hearing me? This is why Philippians 1.6 says that God is the one that started the work in us, and he's going to be the faithful one to bring it to completion. And that's good news today, that he's working in your life. Whether you realize it or not, Philippians 1.6. Hebrews 12.2 refers to this as Jesus being the author and the finisher of our faith. He's also the foundation and the fountainhead and conclusion of our faith. And then in Ephesians 2.10, he says that we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Everybody say good works. Good works, and this is where Christianity becomes confusing, but I'm gonna, we're going to bring some definition to this, okay? Good works. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, not dead works. Okay, so what's the difference? Here we go. You ready? Dead works are what you do to earn God's love and acceptance. Dead works. Do you want to know what good works are? Good works are what you do as a result of God's love and acceptance. And can I tell you, I do way more as a result of knowing how much I'm loved and accepted by God. And this is why in Galatians 2.20 it says, 
Paul writes that it's no longer I that live, but Christ now lives in me. So, so with this in mind, hey, let's write a few things down because I believe we're going to be walking in the power of God's vital grace. Vital grace. Here's number one. Write this down, whether you're using your phone, Calvary Church app, right here. Number one, expect the power of grace in your daily life. I love that you shared that. Expectation. Expect it. Expect the power of God's grace in your daily life. So can we be transparent? Can we be honest this morning? Let's be honest and and let's finally admit as Christians, okay? We're not here to boast about ourselves. Matter of fact, If we're going to boast about anything, as Paul says, let's boast about our weaknesses because whenever we boast about our weaknesses, we are feeling free and we are confident in Christ and that's when his strength is revealed in us. So can we get transparent? Can we finally admit that many times we don't live with the very high expectations of God? You know what routine does to us? Routine creates mediocrity. I was sitting at my desk uh, about two weeks ago, and it's as if God reminded me, and he said it in these words, in this phrase, but God reminded me that everything has purpose and everything is intentional. And he said it this way, I'm always doing something, I'm always going somewhere. Meaning for me to be aware of what he's doing in my life and be aware on where he's leading me. And so when it comes to this expectations from God, listen, what we do is we see the world the way it is, our society, right? All the brokenness coupled with our compulsions of the flesh, and we assume that we'll never quite escape the plight of feeling trapped in our hurts and our habits and in our hangups. And so expectation goes, decreases. And you know what happens then? We become content to know that we're going to heaven someday. Did you just hear me? Going to heaven someday, which is great. But we fail to expect God to show up powerfully in our lives right here and right now. Okay, let me say it to you like this. That we expect to go to heaven, but we fail to expect that heaven can impact today. And that is the difference of a new covenant believer versus a mixed message, old covenant, new covenant, sometimes believer. It's the fact that you understand that heaven can impact today. And so we think that being saved from hell is good enough. And we become content with that. And we end up saying things like this. Well, it's always going to be that way. Well, I'm always going to be this person. Well, nothing's ever going to change in my life. And we don't understand that he also came to save us from the hellish nightmare of living on earth without any hope of real and lasting change. But I have good news for you because we are a gospel church. Meaning this, that the inward change 
that was needed and demanded from you happened. What the law demanded from you to become has already happened by way of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and his resurrection. Because the moment that you trusted Jesus, everything in your inner spirit was radically transformed. Remember, from death to life, from light to darkness, you were transformed. Did I feel like I changed? Maybe. At the moment, maybe. And many of us, we felt like there was a change, right? But can I tell you, even though those emotions are powerful, when you got saved, those emotions while they are good, aren't what we base our confidence upon. Because I'm going to be honest today. There's days where I wake up and I have to think about what I think about. I have to uh, repent, meaning I have to think of his kindness towards me. Not his wrath, not the fact that I fear him, But it's his kindness that leads me to repentance. It is his kindness that introduces me back to his nature and his divine love for me. It's his kindness that reminds me who I am in him. It's his kindness that leads us back to repentance. It's not his fear. It's not you fearing. It's not even God's wrath. It's not none of that. It is his his kindness. And in those moments, I have to replay what I know because I have to think about what I think about. And and in my case, I'm a pastor. I'm a spiritual leader. So the pressure can sometimes feel even heavier when I put expectations on myself that I fear that I can't live up to. But I've learned that you don't have to be a spiritual leader, nor do you have to be a pastor of a local church to understand the pressure of wanting to perform better today than you did yesterday. Because there's pressure there. And a part of the battle is understanding that pressure like that does not come from your heavenly father. Let me say that again, because that felt good saying it. Pressure like that does not come from your heavenly father. It may come from all other places. It may come from a religious culture. It may, it may come from a legalistic mindset, maybe some dysfunction. Maybe you had a perfectionist past, but it does not come from your heavenly father. Nope. And the moment that we venture back into the jungle of religion, meaning the legalistic way of relating to God is the moment that the joy gets sucked out of our journey. Because this journey, God intended it for you to enjoy. So if we're going to be honest today, if we're going to be real honest today, are we enjoying where we're at? Are we enjoying it? And it isn't that God doesn't care about your behavior. Hear me when I say this, because he certainly does, but he knows, and we must also understand that there is no such thing as shaming ourselves into greater maturity. Do you want to know what you find in most churches, especially in a lot of churches in in capital C, the church? They make spaces to where you can 
somehow shame yourself into greater maturity. There is no such thing. Because there's been a lot of that in the history, and it's never worked. Matter of fact, it's, it's called self-condemnation. And the fact is, is that you and I are on a journey with Jesus. And, and, and the internal work has already been completed, but the journey is now learning to allow the very life of Christ to be expressed through us. Here it is, more consistently. And that is a beautiful journey, my friends. So let me put it to you like this. Because the moment that you trusted Jesus, you became as righteous as you will ever be. Whew, that's the truth. You, become, you became as righteous as you will ever be. But you weren't as mature as you will ever be. Because that takes you on a journey. And it's called being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so here's the deal, that if you don't understand the primary foundational truth to expect the power of grace every single day in your life, no matter how well or poorly that you perform, you'll be paralyzed in your growth. Why? Because you'll be thinking things like this. Well, God, today I performed well today. I feel good about my performance today. Yep, I went to church I raised my hands. I felt good about it. I even walked out, and I put a couple dollars in, in, in the giving plate. Hey, I performed well today. God, you must be pleased with me. But then something bad happens to you, right? And then you feel like you got ripped off because you start thinking, well, I thought you were going to treat me different now that I performed for you. But on the other hand, maybe some of us have thought this, I performed so poorly today. God, I blew it. I gave in to greed. I gave in to pride. I gave in to anger. I, I did it today, God. God, you must be so disgusted with me. And what ends up happening is you condemn yourself and you, you are convinced that you've disqualified yourself from receiving his unmerited blessing and favor in your life. Listen, the first scenario says that I've performed so well that God owes me a blessing. Do you want to know what that leads to? Self-righteousness. Okay, second scenario, I've performed so poorly that God must be mad at me. If you want to go that route, do you want to know what it leads to? Yep, self-condemnation. Listen, the gospel of God's grace, <laughs> what, it, what, it, what it's designed for, it's designed to keep us out of both of those ditches. Because when we've performed well, and for those days that you do perform well, do you know what you do? You give all the glory to God and you say, God, thank you for working in my life. And for the days that you perform poorly, you want to know what you do? You say, God, you worship him and you thank him for the cross, that your past has been replaced with his past and that you died to those old ways and you have this new life in Christ, which is found in him. Okay, we must Learn to expect. Everybody say expect. The power of God's grace every day.
Okay, number two, write this down. Embrace the process that grace unleashes. Embrace the process that grace unleashes. Everybody say process. I know you don't like saying it. Say it one more time. Process. Process. So let me ask you a question. Are you okay with where you're at? On your journey, are you okay with where you're at? See, that question right there causes so much tension in the life of a believer. Are you okay with where you're at? We need to understand that on this journey of the soul, we're experiencing the vital grace of God and how he functions much more like a crock pot and not a microwave. Let me put you back to reality. Your spirit is 100% holy, pure, good by God. Spirit. But it's your soul, your mind, will, and emotions that need to be transformed. You've heard me say it like this, that it's my mind, my will, my emotions that need to catch up to what God has actually done to my spirit. And so I get it. We like a microwave meal. We like things instant, right? I enjoy turkey bacon from the microwave every now and then. I get it, instant. But there are some things, hear me, there are some things about which there are no shortcuts. You want to know one of those things? Discipleship. Discipleship. But I have good news for you because discipleship in the new covenant is totally different than the old. Matter of fact, Hebrew says that, that this new covenant is better than the old. So I'm just not saying that. I'm just making that up. Discipleship and the new covenant. This discipleship in the new covenant is way better than it was in the old. And so for ancient Jews, did you know what they had to do to become a disciple? They had to find a mentor and they had to follow that mentor and they had to meticulously study and imitate that mentor over time. They had to learn how to emulate his disciplines, their skills, their talents, their strengths. So when Jesus comes and has a meal with his disciples the night before he went to the cross what he was doing is ushering in a new way of discipleship he told them that in this new relationship that they were about to experience it would be much like the grapes hanging on vines john 15 this is what he says i am the vine i am the true vine and you are the branches if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we know that the Bible shares that a, a few weeks later, it's Pentecost Sunday and the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and he, he, he makes his dwelling with his disciples permanently, permanently. They now permanently be in Christ and Christ would permanently be in them. What does that mean? No coming and no going. 
God doesn't show up because of your perfect performance. God doesn't come and go. Church, we don't need to beg for the Holy Spirit because God came and he remains and he is committed to you. So there's no more coming and going. God is not into visitation. He's in the habitation. Why do we think that he comes and he goes? Religion. Colossians 1.27. The secret's out. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The secret's out. What religion does Religion tries to keep you in the darkness of not understanding everything. But Paul said it clear as day. The secret is out. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what does that mean? That Christ is in us and he's leading us and he's guiding us. He's not here one day, gone the next. He's not here when we do good and then when we do bad, he flees. No, he's with us all the time. Do you want to know what that means? He's committed to your process. (sighs) What a relationship. Do you know what everybody else does in this world? The moment that you fail them, they run from you. Now, you may have those people that stick around and they may get ran over a few times, but there's going to be a time where they say, you know what, I'm done with it. I'm out. God is committed to your process. (laughs) That's good news for us today. So instead of a a disciple striving to imitate the best qualities of the master, meaning the vine, right? Now the disciples would begin to allow the master, the vine. Now the disciples would allow the the, the master to actually become one with himself. And so to exist in union with him as a part of him, do you want to know what that is? That's not imitation, that's participation. It's the difference between pretending and partaking. Pretending leads to acting while partaking leads to enjoying. Are you enjoying everything that God has given you? Because Jesus didn't come, hear me, so you could pretend to live this abundant life. He came so that you could partake in his abundant life. Jesus didn't come so you could pretend to have peace. Hey, he came so you could partake of his peace. Jesus didn't come so that you can pretend to have joy. He came so that you could partake in his everlasting joy. Are you getting this? This is why Peter says that we now have become partakers of his divine nature. And then Paul tells us that whoever is joined with Jesus is one in spirit. As a branch is connected to a vine. And it isn't that we become God, but hear me, we do become spiritually unified with him as branches to a vine. And if you're glad for that, come on, you can give Jesus some praise this morning. 
Okay, last one. Here we go. Number three, write this down. Enjoy the position that trust and obedience place you in. Everybody say enjoy. Enjoy. Say position. Enjoy the position that trust and obedience place you in. I used to believe that obedience places me. Let me rephrase that. I used to believe that my obedience places me in the perfect place to receive from God. This is radical grace. And allow me to go down this road just for a minute. It is his obedience that places me in the position of blessing. It is not I. It is his work. What he did. So what do we mean by this? Enjoy the position that trust and obedience place you in because can I be honest? A lot of us gospel preachers, we get slammed by, by conventional Christians because we're falsely accused of ignoring the importance of obedience. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The truth is that I care deeply about walking in obedience to God. But I also care greatly about not putting the cart before the horse. And so you see, for those stuck in the old covenant way of thinking and operating, remember we talked about this, that they exist in the if-then mentality. Meaning this, if I do this, then God will respond. If I do this, then God may bless me. That's the if-then way of thinking, which is tied to the Old Covenant. Because God told the children of Israel, if you do this, then you will get this. So it's connected to them. But I'm glad that Jesus came and created an entire new system. You want to know what it is? A since therefore. It's a since therefore. Since God loves me, therefore, I can freely love others. Since God forgave me, therefore, I can freely forgive others. In other words, our obedience comes not from fearing that God won't bless us if we obey. Our obedience comes from a grateful response of what he's done on the cross and how he actually completed the work for us. Okay, let me put it to you like this. Our obedience is a response to his love. My obedience is a response to his love 
and not a reaction to requirements. Okay. My obedience is a response to the supply of his grace and not a reaction to the demands of the old. So rather than an if-then mentality, I live, you live, we all live in the sense therefore. And to stay right there in the sense therefore, you got to renew your mind. You got to keep coming back to what he believes about you. You got to keep coming back to what God knows to be true about you. You got to come back to this because if you don't, we easily forget. Paul described it as a man looking in a mirror. When that man walks away from a mirror, he forgets the way he is. But when we come back to the mirror, you want to know who our mirror is? It's Jesus. When we come back to our mirror, we can see ourselves as a son or a daughter in God's kingdom. When we come back to the mirror, we can see our right standing with God. We got peace with God. That we have this inheritance that that is not corruptible. We have this, this everlasting joy. When we come back to the mirror, we see ourselves the way God sees us. Oh, that's so good. Let me put it to you like this in practical terms because you're going to come, you're going to be on some crossroads one day and you're going you're gonna to come to this point and you're going to say, what do I think? I was talking to a young gentleman the other day and this reminded me of why gospel circles are important. We tell you to come to gospel circles, tell you to gospel, come to gospel circles. And there's many reasons, but I believe it teaches us how to think because that young man he was struggling he said man I'm trying I'm trying but I, I just can't and I gave him this advice you ready change your thinking okay stop because to me that was easy because I've been in this but for those that are struggling maybe they need to learn what to think gospel circles are a place where you learn what to think whenever you don't know what to think. When everything is up in the air and there's so much uncertainty, you learn what to think. So here it is. Hey, you're in the sense, therefore, new covenant, since God has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, therefore, hey, you choose to live from the resources of that blessing. It's not an if then, it's a since therefore. Since God has crucified my old man and given me this new identity now in Jesus, therefore I choose to live in this new way. <laughs> okay? Since God graced me as a partaker of his divine nature. Therefore, I will draw from that power and trust him to produce fruit in every single season of my life. Can I tell you something? There's no dry season. Believer, there is no dry season in Christ. 
There's not a desert place in Christ. This is where the prophet declares that there would be a reservoir that unleashes from within you. Around you may be desert, but you are not a desert. You will walk as an oasis in the middle of barren land and you will flourish in every single season to produce fruit and the world will stop and say, wait, what are you doing? And all you can say is, I trust him. I took my hands off it. I opted out. I changed my thinking. From a beggar to now a son. From death to life. Are you getting this? Since God has paid the price for every act of disobedience I will ever have or ever will commit, therefore I desire to obey Him with an obedience from the heart, not motivated by fear, but by gratitude. <laughs> Here's the point I'm trying to make today. Obedience is never about earning a reward, although it is extremely rewarding. Your obedience to God is never about earning a reward, but it is extremely rewarding. Do you know why I love to obey God? Here it is. I'll give you two reasons. Number one is gratitude. <laughs> it's gratitude. Second one is wisdom. Gratitude and wisdom. And haven't we discovered that God has the market cornered on fulfillment? Listen, I lived 28 years without being a pastor of a local church. So I experienced some things. And I can tell you right here, right now, I haven't done everything. But what I did do and what I did get myself into did not fulfill me the way God wanted me to be fulfilled. And so God has the market cornered on your fulfillment. Trust that. God's not going to try to cheapen your existence or somehow take something that you actually delight. Listen, it may be redefined. It may look different, but at the end of the day, do you know what happens? You actually come to the place where you say, I didn't know I, I, I wanted this, but I do. And that's how God works. Because he knows you better than you know yourself. <laughs> I could go somewhere else with that, but for the sake of time, I'm not. If I trust that God knows what will truly fulfill me, then I can more easily deny the false promises of the world, of the flesh, and, and, and of the devil in favor of obedience to him. And again, hear me when I say this, that obedience, we should never do it to earn a reward. But it is extremely rewarding. And hear me, because obedience puts us Obedience, God's obedience, Christ's obedience, as we live connected to the living vine, that obedience puts us in the best position 
possible to enjoy the blessings of God. And Paul told the Galatians, he said this, you reap what you sow. Now hear me, because that isn't talking about your standing with God. No, that's not. Your standing with God, it's safe and secure. Meaning that it cannot be dismantled or disrupted because what God is committed to, he is committed to. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is committed to. But hear me, it's certainly possible to bring some negative earthly consequences into our lives if we choose to live foolishly rather than wisely. Case in point, if I go today and I rob a bank, there's some earthly consequences. You're going to see me on 5 o'clock news and there's going to be a local pastor and a manhunt for him. And I'm going to call you up and be like, I'm coming to your house. Do you have a place? There's earthly consequences. Listen, if I allow a substance to have addictive power over me, guess what? There will be some earthly consequences. I could give you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these. We can list, we can list these, but hear me. But when we're living, when we're living in love, in Christ's love for us, obediently, we're positioning ourselves to reap the most positive earthly consequence possible. It's understanding that you've been placed in the position of blessing and you now live from that place. Will some of you stop and ask, I don't feel blessed. I don't feel like I have authority. That's the problem. You're feeling your way through. It's not feeling. It's knowing. Do you know when you get past the feelings? Let me say it like this. When you get past the desire of wanting to feel it, then you'll actually feel it. I hope you make sense of that later. But that's the reality of it. When you get past the desire to wanting to feel it and you take God at his word, you actually feel it. So this is my prayer for you. Because as we've been journeying together, we've learned that we've been captured by grace. And God's plan is God's grace. That's his plan for your life. It's the legal aspect, but also the vital aspect for your daily life. God's grace is plan A, not plan B. It's not a cute message on Easter, nor on Christmas. It's the whole thing. Because grace is a person. Jesus was grace personified. Jesus is grace. He walked among humanity. He showed humanity what love was like. He came to reveal the love of the Father, which means that you and I now have the opportunity to learn how to live his life in our every day. And yes, that part is possible because it says in his word that all things are possible with God. So hey, believer, that thing that you can't get over, you were never meant to get over it. Because you first have to see yourself dead to it. And then as you see yourself dead to it, Paul says like this, then reckon yourself dead 
and consider yourself alive in Christ. So you and I need to understand that as we continue to grow in grace, my heart as your pastor in this community, as we grow together, we're allowing ourselves to see ourselves captured by grace. And I get it. Many, maybe, maybe some of us were captured by distraction. Maybe some of us have been captured by compromise and sin, captured by legalism, captured by moralism. We've been captured by uh, church anity. Whatever it is, we've been captured by a lot of things. But we need to understand and know today that we've been captured by God's grace. You've been caught. You've been rescued. He has you. And Jesus came to declare, to declare today that the war is over. The fight is done. The war is over and the fight is done. With every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. The war is over. Do you believe that? If he came to dismantle every principality and authority in dark places, what are you fighting for? Here's the good news. You're called to the good fight of faith, believer. What does that mean? You get to choose what you believe every day. And as new covenant people, I'm going to remind you, that the victory has been won. Are you staring something down right now? A problem, an issue? Hey, declare it. The victory is won. The victory is mine in Christ Jesus. I don't care how powerful it looks. I don't care how big the problem seems. I don't care how many times you hear about the problem your message about the problem never changes it stays consistent the victory has been won and it's yours in Christ Jesus Heavenly Father I thank you for sending your son Jesus I thank you God that today we have his righteousness and Jesus today we see you more clearly Yes, you came and you dwelt among men and you died a horrible death. But now you're living and you're living in us. So, Lord, I choose now to receive your forgiveness. Every day I choose to receive your forgiveness. Every day I choose to receive your salvation. Every day I am reminded that I possess lasting change. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you for making me your child. Right there, right here you are. Can you just repeat these words after me? Thank you. Come on, say thank you for lasting change. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name. Come on, give Jesus some praise, will you? Come